0: to land in Richmond to see our newest grandbaby, Levi. That's number 13. And I got to spend a couple nights with Tricia and their family and see Joy Beth and James. We had Christmas the last night we were there uh, with the family and Grandpa's birthday. It was my birthday party too, so we had a great time. But I'm glad to be home. I got so much to do and looking forward to this conference. Well, we got uh, Pastor Charlie Clark with us here tonight. Charlie Clark Jr. and uh, his wife April. They started the uh, Rock, um, Solid Rock Baptist Church in 1981 in uh, Berlin, New Jersey. So 36 years, this 36 year pastoring there. He's got two boys, Michael and Charlie. Uh, I think uh, Charlie is the uh, co-pastor and I think Michael's the assistant pastor and they've been over there over 20 years working with dad. They got a great work. If you ever get a chance to get out there, it's just awesome uh, work of God. They have Northeast Vision, same time our tent meeting is, and they bring in preachers that are starting churches through the east and uh, have over a thousand people a night in that meeting. Great services. And God has used Brother Clark greatly. He's one of my favorite preachers. You know, uh we're told in the scripture that you know some like cephas some like apollos some like paul you know we all like jesus right so but be honest there's some favorite preachers that you have and uh brother clark's one of my favorite preachers i love to hear him love to be around him so he's gonna he's gonna minister to us tonight tomorrow night saturday and all day sunday so pray for him We're looking forward to what God has for us these days. Pastor Clark, you come ahead. God bless you. Thank
1: you. All right, it's good to be in church tonight, amen? Amen. Good to be in church any day, but I'm glad I'm here. We've been, uh, Mrs. Clark and I have been fighting off some uh, sickness and some different things going on. And uh, I really do think the devil fights. Um, The older I get, the more I see it. I didn't believe that when I was younger. I thought, ah, you know. But uh, it just seems like when you want to do something for the Lord, the devil's always going to try and come in there. Turn with me in the Word of God tonight, and uh, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, I like the uh, 1611 there on the pulpit, King James Bible. I started coming out here to Michigan, uh, Dr. Noe's Bible Conference, and man, I don't know how long ago that was. I was a lot younger back then, and uh, but Dr. Noe was a great influence in my life, the, as far as a preacher, he was, he encouraged me more than any other preacher in the world ever, and uh, he, he, I always thought he believed in me. Um, he just gave me that impression, and uh, he was a great man of God, and uh, so I started, I met Brother Staub, Brother Brown, and different people out here from that meeting, and uh, that seems like a different lifetime to me at this point, but uh, we're going to see him again in heaven when we get up there, amen? I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I told, my wife said, what are you preaching on? I told her, she said, oh, really? And uh, <laughs> Saturday night, Saturday night, I especially want to preach to the men and the boys. And uh, something I, the Lord put on my heart. Uh, but and tonight, let me say this about the family, having this family meeting. I think it's a really good thing. Um, you know, a lot of the problems in America, people try to throw money at it. Uh, we're a suburb of Philadelphia and, you know, the schools are a mess and the kids are a mess and, and everybody thinks, well, if we can just have more programs and, and uh, you know, better, more expensive schools and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the problem is a spiritual problem. We need revival in America. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I just, I don't want to get a church play. I'm glad Trump won. And I look at it like I have some kind of a reprieve. But my hope is not in Donald Trump. My hope is in the Lord. And uh, we need revival in America. Uh, I, was, I was talking to Brother Staub. We, we have something called Capital Connection. And uh, Rand Paul was preaching to the preachers. And uh, he knew he was talking to preachers. And he's a politician. But at the end of his message, he said, if we don't have revival in America, it's over. And uh, Pat Buchanan wrote a book called Death of the West. And through his whole book, you know, he goes on and on and on. In the end, he said the very same thing. And uh, that's, that's our hope isn't in the White House. Our hope is in the Lord. And uh, you can't have strong churches without strong families. And I could say the opposite. You're not going to have strong families without strong churches. It's the Lord that makes us strong. It's the faith that makes us strong. So I hope maybe during this week we can say or do something, have something happen here that will uh, help our families. So in 1 Peter chapter number 3, i begin reading in verse number 5. After this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Holy women. We are supposed to be holy. That word saint means holy one. Over in Timothy, it talks about men praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands. God didn't save us to make us happy. He saved us to make us holy. We're supposed to be pursuing holiness, and we're supposed to be holy people. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, so long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The Bible teaches us that if we're not right with our wife, we're not right with our husband, we're not right with God. We're supposed to be right with our husbands, right with our wives. Notice it says, giving honor unto the wife. And then over in Ephesians chapter number 6, if you'll turn with me. The Bible says children. We have a lot of children here tonight. That's a good thing. I go to churches and the youngest person is 60 years old. That's not a good thing. Because that church is going to be dead in another 10 years. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you, God, for the Word of God, the Bible. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, God, that this short time we're together tonight, that you'll bless it. And I pray, Lord, that you'll touch our hearts. Lord, every heart in the room. God, not because of me, but because of the Word of God, because of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for these families here tonight, these people here tonight. And Lord, I, I don't know very many people in this room. And I don't know their situations, I don't know their circumstances, I don't know what they're going through, but you do. And I pray, God, that you'll fill our need tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll touch us. I pray give us something tonight from the Word of God. And I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach tonight on the subject of moms. Most churches, if your church is like ours, we have Mother's Day and we make a big deal out of moms, we'll give them a flower or have a Mother's Day get together and, and we'll preach a message on mothers. And then we're pretty much silent until next Mother's Day. But uh, the Bible tells us here in two places we're supposed to honor our mothers and also honor our fathers. We have a public servant appreciation day usually about every three years. We don't do it every year. But we have the firemen come in, and we have the police come in, and we have the mayor come in, and we have just about anybody that uh, ambulance squad. And what we do is we want to honor them. We want to honor them. And you say, what do you do? Well, first place, we try to show them our appreciation. We, we want them to know that they are appreciated. You know, everybody wants to be appreciated. Nobody wants to be taken for granted. But I'm afraid so many times we take people for granted. Uh, you've heard people say this, but we don't miss something until we don't have it anymore. A lot of times, you know, you don't appreciate your health until you get sick. And... We don't want to be taking advantage of people. So you show your appreciation and make them know that they're, that they're appreciated. And then when these people come in, we, we treat them like they're important. We just treat them like they're important. We try to make them feel like they're special. And these people are your first responders, and these people are, are serving the public, and, and they're doing a good job. We're not just, you know, putting on, but we really – really believe it. We want them to feel important. We want them to feel special. I could say this, we treat them like royalty. When the mayor comes, when whatever congressmen come, whatever the police chief, we have a man in our church, the police chief's in our church, and uh, we, we, want, we try to treat these people like royalty. Now, how many moms are in the church? Let me, Let me have all the moms just stand up, just stand up for a minute. Just stand up. And uh, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. If there was just men here tonight, I'd be in bad shape. Let me just say, God loves you, and I know your kids love you, and I hope your husband loves you. But uh, you can be seated. You know, we need to thank the Lord for our, our mothers. Our mothers are special. And our mothers ought to be treated like royalty. By their, listen to me, by their children and by their husbands. And just by, in general, the moms anchor the home. I know the man is the head of the home, and he's a spiritual leader. But moms anchor the home. They're the anchor of the home. Uh, Mrs. Clark and I have a son, uh, Charlie, our oldest son. He's 49 today. He drove us to the airport. And uh, whenever he's going through something, he'll have something on his mind. Something's troubling him. He doesn't come to dad. But I'll come home, and him and mom are sitting there in the living room having a conversation. He goes to his mom. I've heard people who were in the military talking about when young soldiers are dying in battle. They usually cry for their mom. My, uh, my nephew, this, this past Saturday we got a phone call, and uh, I have two nephews in the Marine Corps and the one was in california training and he got shot and i couldn't believe it you know you expect it. he was he's been around the world you expect it when he's overseas but there was a training accident and the man next to him the marine next to him nineteen years old was killed and my nephew is in serious condition in the hospital in san diego and uh... but i don't have to tell you his mom was on the airplane flying out and my sister his grandma just you know, it just, it's just so just so shocking when something like that happens. And, but uh, anyway, I want to talk about a few different kind of moms just real quick. First mom I want to talk about is loving moms. I hope every mom is a loving mom, and I hope every mom is a loved mom. I was a mom boy, and I'm not embarrassed about that. My mom went to heaven in 1989, she'd been going a long time. But Mrs. Clark and I lived right next door to her. And I'd pull in the driveway at night and I'd go in my mom's house first and give her a little kiss, tell her I love her. And then I'd go next door to my house. My wife was never jealous or anything, you know. She had just a super relationship with with my mom. But uh, my mom taught me how to love by example. I, I grew up in a loving home. My wife didn't really grow up in a loving home. All my memories are good memories. And Mrs. Clark, she's the oldest of 12. She don't have any good memories. So I I just thank God for my mom. And I thank God for my dad. When I pray, I still pray. My dad's been going since 84. I still thank God for my mom and dad and the home I grew up in. I'll be going to Atlantic City Rescue Mission this Wednesday, Lord willing. And I go in that rescue mission to preach and I think, you know, a lot of these guys just didn't have the family I had. If I didn't have the mom I had, if I didn't have the dad I had, I wonder if I wouldn't be in the rescue mission, somebody would be down there preaching to me. You know, just the grace of God. Just the grace of God. Nobody, nobody loves you like your mom loves you. Nobody loves you like your mom loves you. There's just a special connection. Uh, you know, men, talk about band of brothers. But there's, there's a band of mothers. You know, men can only look from the outside. You, you, we never had a, a life inside of us for nine months. I remember when my son was born. back then, you didn't go in and watch him being born, and you, it, it was just you just sat there and just waited for somebody to come tell you, it's a boy or it's a girl. And uh, I think my wife, we were in the hospital like seven days back then or something, a long time. They used to keep you in there forever. Really? How many days were you in there? It was just not like today, four days. And uh, they brought her out to the car. I pulled the car up to the hospital, and the nurse just looked at me. I thought she was going to hand me the baby, and she wouldn't even let me touch the baby. But men are just outsiders when it comes to having babies and children. And there's just something. That God just made moms that way, just made women that way, that, that nourishing, that nurturing thing. We'll have uh, some kind of an activity every once in a while where the ladies uh, have a ladies meeting and, you know, the men watch the kids. And I guarantee you, man, they just can't wait till mom gets home. It's just, it's just, not, it's just not there. But, uh, you, you know, ever think about Adam, the first man? He never had a mom. Ever think about that? That's just maybe a crazy thing to think about. But he never knew what it was to have his mom spoil him. He didn't know about a mom's love. We have a little girl in our church. We had a couple. Uh, uh, the man was in the military. He was a colonel. And uh, Brian Scully and his wife, Vicky have been in our church a long time, 20-some years. And two years ago, Vicky died with cancer. And uh, they have eight children. And her little girl was about a year old bethany bethany's about three and a half now and every time i see bethany running around she has sisters and everybody in the church you know spoils her and and uh, everybody loves her but i think you know it's just such a shame that this girl won't remember her mom and and i look at those kids and they're growing up without a mom and uh, i just think how blessed i was that i i had a mom and uh I'm glad I'm going to see her when I get to heaven. Thank the Lord. Look over in 2 Samuel chapter 21. In Second Samuel chapter 21, there's been a drought for three years. And David goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, what's, what's wrong? Why aren't you blessing us? And the Lord tells him it's because of the Gibeonites, that Saul had killed the Gibeonites. And uh, he went to them and he said, what do you want for restitution? They said, we want seven of Saul's sons, and we want them to die. That was their restitution. And there's this lady named Rizpah in verse number 8. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, whom she bare to Saul. I'm in mean, 2 Samuel 21.8. And uh, Armoni and Mephibosheth. That's not the Mephibosheth that David spared. And the five sons of Michael, the daughters of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillia, the Meholathite. And he delivered unto them the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together, were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah took sackcloth, and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Now can't you see this picture? Here's this woman, and she really hasn't done a thing wrong. But they come and they take two of her adult sons, and they hang them and the bodies are just laying out there on on the top of this mountain and you know what happens if you have dead bodies the buzzards come and the animals come and here's this woman she camps out over the bodies of her sons and she's out there day and night trying to keep the buzzards away and trying to keep the animals away A couple months ago I was riding down the road, it was a rainy night, it was about ten thirty at night. We have a cemetery on the street, our church is on, and I looked out there and there was a car out there with the headlights on and there was a lady standing out in the rain. And I thought, what is she doing out there? Ten thirty at night in the rain. So I do a lot of funerals. I have a funeral director in my in our church. And I said, you know, I was coming down the road the other night and there was a lady out there at 10.30 at night in the rain. He said, she's out there every night. And uh, I thought of Rizpah and I thought of mothers and the special relationship that mothers have with their children and children have with their mothers. Let me say this to young people. You reach an age where you don't obey your parents anymore. When you get to be an adult and you're out on your own, If you're a grown man, you know, you don't have to call your mom and ask her, can I stay up and look at television or do whatever, play a game. But let me just say this to all the young people in this room. You never reach an age where you don't honor your mother. I, I have two adult sons. I'm not bragging on them. But I have never one time ever heard them be fresh with their mom. Never. Not once. Not when they're little. Never, 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 never. I never heard them talk back. But let me just say this, they never heard me be that way with their mom either. Because we're supposed to honor ladies. We're supposed to honor women. We're supposed to honor girls. I'm, I think we've lost that in our society. We have, you know, women dressing like men and acting like men and talking like men. And we got men talking like women and everything's reversed. But, you know, we we shouldn't take our cues from the culture. We ought to get what we believe from the Word of God. And and there's nothing wrong with being different, when it's a good different. It doesn't matter what the world's doing. That's what lost people do. But it does matter what we do, in our Christian homes and how we treat our moms. Look over in First Kings chapter 17. And I don't want to keep you long tonight. But in First Kings chapter 17. The Bible says in verse 8, the word of the Lord came unto him. You know the story about Elijah, and he's been uh, at the brook Kirith there, and now the brook's uh, drying up, and God sends him to Zarephath to a widow woman. And uh, I'm sure he thinks, wow, rich widow woman. The the dream of every pastor has come through. And uh, he says, get to Zarephath. I've commanded a woman, widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink it. I don't think that would work with Mrs. Clark. Go fetch me a drink. I just, somehow I don't think that's going to fly, brother. And uh, as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread. And, uh, at thy hand and she said as the Lord thy God liveth I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise and I'm gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die now you know the story the, the she made the little cake for Elijah and the oil and and the, and the, and the uh, meal and the in the cruise the cruise of oil and the barrel meal it never failed there was, there, listen, there was never any extra, but there was always enough. Amen. You with me? I don't know about you, but that's Mrs. Clark and I, we've lived that way all our life. Never any extra, but there's always enough. Amen. God God always supplies. I thank the Lord for that. But here's this little, little you know, God, God uses people in, in unexpected ways. Nobody, nobody would think that this widow woman would be the one that would feed Elijah. It's just amazing how God will use people you'll never, you'll never think about. I, I have a friend of mine over in Pennsylvania, and he has a church. And uh, they have buses. they probably got, I don't know, eight buses, seven buses, eight buses. And uh, they were going to have a, a big day on Sunday. And he had a guy come to roast a pig. Now, I don't eat pork, so... I'm not a pig roaster. But he had a guy show up, and they were having this big day, and they were going to have a roast pig. And uh, the guy strung a hammock, and he was going to stay there all night and roast this pig. So he asked one of the guys in the church, he said, "Uh, what do you do with all those buses? He said, well, we go out and we bring boys and girls to Sunday school. Go down in, in York, and we bring a bunch of poor kids into church. He said, Really? He said, Get, have your preacher call me. Ask your preacher, give me a call. So the preacher called him, and uh, the guy was impressed with his buses and gave him an apartment building. And he sold the apartment building, this was years ago, for like $350,000. Now, nobody would have thought some guy in a hammock roasting a pig was going to be the person that God used to be a blessing to that church. You know? God use, listen, God uses unlikely people. She didn't have much, but what she had, she gave it to the Lord. And God multiplied it, and God used it. But here's my point. I got two points here, really. Single moms. Single moms. I don't know if there's any single moms here tonight or not. But um, here is this woman, and she's trying to raise her boy. And she's not just a single mom, she's a poor mom. I mentioned my wife is the oldest of 12, good Catholic family. My wife was very religious, but she was very lost. And her dad drank too much, and he was abusive, and he left them. And uh, I met my wife when she was 14. I started actually taking care of her when she was 15. We'd go to school, we'd get two rolls, two milks. They were hard times, but they were good times. But her mom, with 12 kids, was trying to make ends meet. Catholic Church actually put them in a house. And um, over the years, we we fixed that house up. And she worked at a meat market, worked in a freezer. And basically, she was cold all the time. But I know what it's like for single moms. We got a lot of single moms in our church. And uh, trying to do it all by themselves, And, you know, we need to pray for them. And we need to encourage them. We have a a bus ministry. And uh, I guess it's been a year or two ago, our junior church guy, he asked all the kids that come in on the bus, how many of you have a dad in the house? And I think we had 85 teenagers, and something like 80 of them didn't have a dad in the house. And you wonder what's going on in our country, and you wonder what's wrong. Right? I mean, that's, that's the major part of it right there. But when, when, when the husband bails out, it's up to mom to take care of it. God loves poor people. He said, blessed are the poor. Um, I think it was Abraham Lincoln said, God must love poor people because he made so many of them. And, you know, it's a blessing to be poor. It really is. Uh, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. In my life, I have lost a couple big inheritances. I've never gotten an inheritance, but I've lost a couple big ones. And at the time, you know, I thought, I can't believe it. All that money, it's all gone. But when I look back now, that was a blessing. Because if I got that money, I probably never would have preached, been a preacher. I don't know if I'd have been saved. So it's not, listen, it's not a sin to be poor. It's, not a sin to, it's a sin to be lazy, but it's not a sin to be poor. And, and I, I just guarantee you, a lot of our moms are poor moms. And you may not have a lot of material things. You may not have the nicest clothes. When I, when I grew up, my mom had a little cabinet thing, and she had, I think, two dresses, and that's all she had. And I remember this. I remember walking home from school, and I got to my house we had an old farmhouse and if you said what color is it? I couldn't tell you because it wasn't any color there wasn't no paint left on and I remember walking home from school and the bus was coming and all the kids were on the bus and I remember walking by my house because I didn't want nobody to know I lived there but you know what we had a happy home man I had a good home there's a lot of love in our house a lot of love in our house and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'd trade that house, but not the home. I used to tell people when I was little, we, we would get chicken probably about once a month. And it wasn't just, you know, wings and all that. I mean, we had a real chicken. And uh, I think I was sitting there on a the table. And I used to tell people, my mom, her favorite part of the chicken is the neck. Now, you know what? Nobody, nobody's favorite part of the chicken is the neck. But after that chicken was all cut up, she ate the neck. And I was stupid enough to believe it and think that she took it because she wanted it. You know why she took it? So that we could have the parts we wanted. Because that's what moms do. That's what moms do. Love them while you have them. Look in Proverbs thirty-one, talking about loving moms and single moms and poor moms, and we got all kind of moms. Proverbs thirty-one: Who can find a virtuous woman? Verse ten: The heart of her husband to safely trust in her, she'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, and she works willingly with her hands. She works willingly with her hands. Verse 15, she rises while it's yet night and gives meat to her household. Working moms. When uh, we start our church, my wife had to go to work, and I had to go to work. we have been in the ministry. I'd been in two different churches. I was assistant pastor in our home church, and then worked down in Texas with Brother Roloff. When we start our church, we didn't have any support, and and nobody was going to support us, so we we just went to work. And uh, my wife used to clean houses. And uh, I remember when our kids were in college, she took on more houses and would clean those houses. I got a lady in my church, Janet Brown, she's 70-some years old, and uh, gave me a Christmas card, Mrs. Clark and I, with $100 in it this year, $100 bill in that card. You know what Janet does, 70-some years old, or she's been a widow for years, she cleans houses. Her hands are real rough, like a man's hand. She's got real rough hands. But she's got a real tender heart. And she's just a good woman. And she's a working woman. I know all women are hard working. If you're a mom, you've got to work hard. Take care of your family. Take care of your kids. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's good, really, for the woman to be out of the house. I think it's, the woman needs to be home with the kids. But a lot of times, you can't tell somebody with 12 kids you shouldn't have a job. Because if you don't have a job, you don't want to eat. So, take it easy on the working moms. Thank God for the working moms. I think of her putting that money in that card. She probably worked a day at least for that. And it's just humbling when you think about it. Look in Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter number two. <clears throat> You gotta forgive me, you get old, you get mushy. When I preach this, I think about my mom. I think about me, you know, in the home I was in. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Herod, when he saw he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, Jeremiah the prophet saying in Ramah was there a voice lamentation, weeping great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children would not be comforted because they are not. Broken hearted moms. Somebody said preach the broken hearts, there's one on every pew. I'm a coward. I hope I go first. I don't, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of my wife dying. I'm afraid of one of my kids dying. I told you a story about the man in the hammock. The pastor of that church lost a young, young adopted son, 21 years old. It was Kevin Trout, is the pastor's name. And uh, brokenhearted, brokenhearted, him and his wife. And they've never gotten over it. There's some things, listen, there's some things you get through, but you don't get over. There's some things you get through, the Lord gets you through, but you never get over it. There's no pain like heartache. No pain like heartache. We have so many friends in the ministry have lost children. It just breaks my heart to think about it. And uh I talked about the Marine that just, just got shot right next to my nephew. They had a little article in the paper about him said he always wanted to be a Marine. He's gone. And my sister and everybody in the family said, what about that other family? I mean, we're upset. We're, we're mourning, but not like that family. <clears throat> I was thinking of Brother Brown just coming back from Germany. And, uh, you know, I I think, I don't know if you do it here, but in our church we dedicate babies. And uh, we don't make a real big deal out of it. We don't do it all the time. But sometimes people just want to come, and they're really dedicating themselves. And it's kind of like Hannah giving Samuel to the Lord. And they dedicate that baby to the Lord. And, you know, that's a great thing. They gave that baby to the Lord. But it's another thing when that child says, God called me to the mission field. It's another thing when that young person, you take them to the airport and they're getting on a plane to go off to Bible college. That's, 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 the, real, that's the real time. That's the real time. That's when it really, really, really comes home. I'll tell you what else is when they get away from the Lord when they get away from the Lord we have two sons and a daughter about four years ago my son-in-law came to me and says I don't want you to be shocked but Vicky and I are getting divorced they were on the church staff we didn't have a clue anything was wrong and I don't know if my wife has slept a full night since and I don't care where you are I don't care what you're doing it's on your heart because you love your kids and you love them no matter what. And it just breaks your heart. Let me say this, young people. If you get out and sin, if you go away from the Lord, if you turn on your back on what you've been taught, you're going to break your mother's heart. Somebody said like 80% of the kids that grow up in churches don't live for the Lord. I hope that's not true in this church. I hope it's not true in real bible believing churches. But that's a staggering statistic. We have a school hallway. We have a Christian school and every year we take a picture of the senior class. And the hallway is just lined with these pictures of the senior class. We don't have big classes, 10 kids, 15 kids, 20s a lot. But you know a lot of days I walk down that hallway and I look at those pictures. And I think, this one's serving the Lord, and this one's living for God. And then I look at all the ones that aren't. And I think, my goodness, what happened? What happened? It's just just a sad reality that so many young people, they grow up in a Christian home, they're in a good church, and they get out in the world. And I think if it breaks your mother's heart, it must break God's heart. It breaks your father's heart. Look at this, and I'm going to close because I feel like I've been going long. Over in the book of Timothy, it talks about godly moms. Timothy, listen, Timothy had a godly mom and he had a godly grandmother. Doesn't talk about the men there, but it talks about a godly mother and a godly grandmother we had roses on mother's day and we let the little uh, bus kids take roses home to their mom and i had this one little girl little sweet little black girl and she had two and i didn't know if we had enough roses and i said you you only need to take one she said that one's for my grandma i said okay go ahead because when you're a grandfather your whole perspective changes. <laughs> Acts chapter number 12. And we'll close with this. <clears throat> Remember the story of John Mark, Paul and Silas, separate me Paul and Silas for the ministry. They're up there in Antioch and they're going off and preaching to the Gentiles and all the world's going to hear the gospel. There's a young man, John Mark, it's, it's, uh, it's Barnabas. What did I say, Paul and Silas? I never went to Bible school, so you preachers got to, excuse me. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. So they take off, and they know more than get going, and John Mark leaves them. He leaves them. I don't know what was going on in his life. I don't know if he was homesick. I don't know if he was discouraged. I don't know if he was disappointed. I don't know what happened. But he left them. And later, they're going to go back and confirm the churches. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. And Paul says, no way. He left us high and dry. We're not going to go through this again. And Paul and Barnabas ended up parting company uh, over John Mark. Now, the amazing thing is, when Paul is giving his uh, swan song, his last, over there in 2 Timothy 4, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And then he says, send John. Bring, bring, bring Mark. I better read it. It says, bring Mark. He's profitable unto me for the ministry. We'll just leave it there. Bring Mark. He's profitable unto me for the ministry. Now, the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Mark is John Mark. So here's Mark, and he, and he has a terrible start in the ministry. And you think he's finished. Paul won't even give him a second chance. And now at the end of Paul's life, he says, bring Mark. He's profitable to me for the ministry. And he's the author of one of the gospels. And over here in, John, in Acts chapter number 12, It says in verse 11, When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety. The Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Now they had just got done killing Stephen not very long ago. And they'd killed James. And now they're going to kill Peter. But the Lord, listen, hey, the Lord delivers him. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. But safety is of the Lord. And God's not going to take you home until he's finished with you. Whatever God has for you, when when it's done, he'll take you home. And here's Peter, and he comes to himself, and he realizes he's out on the street. Verse 12, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And he comes to the door, and they don't even believe he's there. They're praying that the Lord will deliver him, and the Lord will let him loose, But when their prayer gets answered, they don't even believe it. But here's here's the thing. Notice the house he's at. He's at this house where all these people are praying, and he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. How did Mark make this great recovery? How did Mark get back? How did Mark end up living for the Lord? How did Mark end up being so greatly used to God? I don't know all the reasons but I know one reason listen to me he had a praying mom where prayer was want to be known here they are having this prayer meeting and it's the house of Mary the mother of John Mark we have poor moms we have single moms we have loving moms. We have all these moms. We need praying moms. We need praying moms. We need ladies. We need men too. But we need some ladies to get a hold of God. I was talking about Dr. Noe earlier. And one of the speakers every year for the Bible conference was Bobby Utley. And Bobby Utley is, he is the ultimate hillbilly. He makes those Duck Dynasty people look sophisticated. (laughs) He's down there in North Carolina. And, I mean, he is just, he's one of a kind. I haven't seen him now in years. He has a wife. Her name is Memory. And I was to his church one time. I wanted to see the spot. Out back of his church, there's a field. And then there's a big hill. They call it a mountain. But it's really a a big hill and on Saturday afternoon Mrs. Utley takes a little group of ladies from the church and they go up on that mountain and they got some rocks up there and they paint people's names on the rock I don't know if my name is still there or not but every year at the Bible conference when I saw Mrs. Utley I said Mrs. Utley my name's still on the rock oh yeah We're praying for you. Just a bunch of simple, poor, not real educated. Nobody knows who they are. Not big in this world. But Saturday afternoon, praying. Praying. What kind of mom are you? You young ladies in this room, what kind of mom are you going to be? You need to be a mom that loves God, a godly mom, a praying mom, a loving mom. That's more important than having your nails done and looking pretty. Moms. I really believe in our homes, the mom just makes all the difference. You need to be a saved mom. I know this is Thursday night. It's not Sunday morning. You probably don't have, I don't know if we have a visitor in the room. You probably come to church all the time. But you can live in a barn and it doesn't make you a cow. And you can come to church and it don't make you saved. 51 years ago, 51 and a half years ago, Mrs. Clark and I got married. In the Catholic Church, I remember in the middle of the ceremony, she went over. There's a big statue of Mary, and she put a bouquet in front of Mary, and kneeled down over there, and I thank God for the power of the gospel. She got saved reading the Bible, looking in there for herself. Got tired of saying the church says when the preacher said the Bible says. When we got married, that was an experience. It was really an experience. Being married is a relationship. You have to have the experience of getting married before you can have the relationship of being married. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? I talk to people all the time about being saved, and they'll say, oh, I did that. I did that. And they talk about the experience. But a lot of them don't have the relationship. There's no evidence of that salvation. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Preacher's going to come. Let me say to the men in this church, honor, honor the women. Honor the women. And let me say to all those children in this room, honor your moms and honor your dads. You never be too